Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gentz. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem Podcast. So excited to bring this most recent read, at least for me. This is the first time I've read this book, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Wow, I am so thrilled that I finally read this. I've been wanting to read Jane Eyre ever since I read Wuthering Heights in high school. And Wuthering Heights is one of those books that's just like so rich and I feel at least from my experience, that it works really well in the high school age group because the book is Victorian, right? It's old, it's, you know, it has that charm, but to make it more accessible to that age group, there's got to be some pizzazz about it, and Wuthering Heights has just that pizzazz. There's, you know, the whole spiritual element of the book. There is this raging love affair <laughs> between Kathy and Heathcliff. There's just a lot going on in Wuthering Heights. There's, it's highly emotional, highly intense, and Jane Eyre, I hoped at least, would match that energy, and I was not disappointed. There's something just so lovely about the writing that the Bronte sisters did that just has this extra element of pizzazz, we're going to talk about some of the other books that I love from these three sisters and talk a little bit about their history and, of course, about this lovely novel. So, bookmark your books. So, this book, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, came out in 1847. This is the first book of three, first of three novels that Charlotte Bronte published. The others are Shirley. Uh, coming out two years later in 1849, and Villette in 1853. I actually have a copy of Villette on my unread shelf, so <laughs> I'm kind of like, oh, I should go back and read that. Um, the second book by Anne Bronte, her youngest sister, also definitely piques my interest due to the themes of alcoholism and perhaps some references to their brother who was the least successful of all the Bronte siblings, fell into some alcoholism and debts and things of this nature later in his, or well, he died young, but later in his short life. Um, and so the themes there are certainly, certainly ripe for something of that time, looking at the different ways of expression of these deep pains that people then as now endured. I won't go over the extensive information that we have on the Bronte sisters and their upbringing, um, but long story short, from my high school memories long ago, <laughs> what I have uh, learned and what has stuck is that during their childhood, the level of education that these um, young women uh, received and the amount of almost respect and care for their own standing 
was unprecedented at that time. They just got a lot of care. They were encouraged to be educated. They were encouraged to write. Um, their father went out of his way to uh, educate them. And I remember that their mother, although she died before the girls were actively learning in school and, you know, having the tutors, um, their aunt came in and basically raised all of the children. Her name was Elizabeth Branwell, and she, as the other older siblings, they all became these mother figures in the family, and um, that certainly helped improve the situation in terms of having support for all of the children. Something that I mentioned a bit earlier is that the darker, almost spiritual or uncanny tone in a lot of these novels that the Bronte sisters wrote is one of my favorite things about them and something that, at least from my perspective, makes them stand out. I mean, there is, you know, there's Henry James, you know, Turn of the Screw-esque type of style. There's, you know, American Gothic literature, Edgar Allan Poe, Mary Shelley. Um, but, you, you know, we're in England right now. You know, we're in England and we have um, other novels like Emma by Jane Austen coming out and it's kind of like there's this interesting tension between the novels and the sorts of like themes and the emotionality and all of this interesting almost playful experimentation seems to me to be a gold mine in terms of this era in terms of um, how unique all of this writing is. So I read Jane Eyre this past week, I read it in two days, and it was so, so lovely. I haven't enjoyed a book like that for a long time, and I'm so grateful that I'm finally getting to a place where I'm consistently enjoying the books that I'm reading, whereas before, earlier this year, especially later last year, I was just reading all these books, and I was like, man, these are terrible. <laughs> Not that they're terribly written or something, but they were just the wrong books for me, maybe the wrong books for me at that time. Um, and now I have all of these, you know, rich books coming my direction, and I'm so grateful for that. So this is the first time read. Again, I've been wanting to read this book for six or seven or eight years now, something like that. Um, I love Wuthering Heights. I've read it four or five, six times. My... One of my favorite books of all time is Agnes Grey by Anne Bronte. A huge fan of that book. Uh, I read it every year for like <laughs> many, many years. I would sometimes read it twice in a year just because it's one of my absolute favorite books. It's such a quiet, like peaceful, idyllic sort of book. A little bit different, honestly, than uh, some of the themes that we're going to be talking about today with regard to Jane Eyre, but I digress. All of their original, like, early stuff that the three sisters published were published under pseudonyms, under male pseudonyms, particularly because they were not sure how the reception would be if a female name was on 
uh, the books. This was later remedied, of course, but uh, as I think it's proper and good to mention for this book, the original pseudonym was Currer Bell for Charlotte Bronte. Let's talk about some other literature. I did a sneak peek of this already. Uh, well, Wuthering Heights, I love Wuthering Heights. I think, again, a lot of the thematic material, the dramaticism, the emotionality, all of that is very similar to the themes and the tone of this novel, Jane Eyre. Uh, there's really independent, strong female characters in both books, uh, Kathy in Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre in Jane Eyre. And that's something that definitely I enjoyed at least as a reader, seeing these amazing female heroines that we have. Agnes Grey is a similar story, actually. Agnes Grey and the novel by her sister Anne Bronte, uh, is a governess and she has kind of a similar rough past and ends up falling in love not with the master of the house but with the local parson. There's a lot of tumult and the emotions and grappling with her own sense of sexuality on the one hand but also her staunch religiosity on the other hand. And these are themes that, again, also play in Jane Eyre and into Jane Eyre's experience. There's also a ton of poetry. I think this is all too often swept under the rug in my experience, but the Bronte sisters, especially Emily Bronte, produced a ton of poetry, and it's very good poetry. It's, I mean, I'm no judge of poetry. That's why we never review poetry. I have no idea how to approach it. And so this is something that I would recommend to people who are even remotely interested in poetry. There's some really great stuff from all the Bronte sisters. Their first publications were poetry, from what I understand. And then Emily Bronte in particular had this lifelong ability and tenacity for poetry and the production of poetry. I also named a couple of authors from the Gothic era of literature, the American Gothic, um, Edgar Allan Poe. I think this is so similar to like Telltale Heart almost. There's a lot of themes of guilt and shame in not only in Jane Eyre, but in all of these books that we're talking about, these were hot themes. I almost think of Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, um, you know, those like themes of what is the truth and um, how pushing back on societal barriers as well. So in Jane Eyre, it's about, it's a lot about upward movement and whether uh, she should transgress social norms and marry somebody outside of her initial status from the book. And then there's this uh, change of affairs, almost like Great Dickens, or Great Expectations. <laughs> Sorry, Great Expectations, Charles Dickens. There's this kind of like change of affairs that happens very suddenly. 
and the character's life is greatly altered as a result of that. Mary Shelley, you know, Frankenstein, there's a ton of Mary Shelley that's like under read in my opinion as well. Um, but yeah, these same questions about, you know, what is real? What is um, important? You know, are these societal barriers, so to speak, and these also emotional and physical barriers in Jane Eyre, are they important enough to listen to those over um, being in love? And I think that's something that Jane Eyre maybe overdraws is there's this like, she's just so in love, you know? And I, of course, like, I found that quite enjoyable um, myself, but I can definitely see my partner John read this book in high school and thought that it was super overdrawn and that she maybe should have pursued her own things a little bit more and not have gone on these other love tangents, even when she was alone and estranged from the household. Like, why would she continue to focus so much on Rochester? We'll talk about this when it comes to the plot summary, so if you're lost, don't worry. <laughs> um, I also was thinking about Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, the Scarlet Letter, that kind of vibe as well for this. That's a little bit of a different, like that's romanticism. Um, and Hawthorne is also very naturalistic, which Jane Eyre is not really. So it's kind of a different genre, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I kind of also lump him into this kind of gothic scene, even though it's completely anachronistic. I get that. <laughs> but he also has these like kind of intense emotional themes that I always remember when um, I'm thinking about other literature from even these like two or three centuries. And of course, Jane Austen, Charles Dickens, huge, huge players in the Victorian era, the same era in which uh, Charlotte and Emily and Anne were writing in England. Um, these are all English writers, Jane Austen and Dickens included. So it is no stretch of a comparison to say that there's a lot of similar themes and even in I was talking in an earlier episode that I recorded this week about Martin Chuzzlewit and all of the different time capsules that Dickens puts into his work and I think that certainly um, this is not an exception to that either like this tendency of Victorian writers to put elements of their time, elements of the quote-unquote pop, pop culture of that time into the novels. And I find that fascinating and also like very enriching to know, for example, the example I gave in the Dickens episode was the um, funeral uh, traditions of the time and how they would hire paid mourners to make the person look more important than they were. You know, that's such an enriching fact to know. Footnotes are super helpful for that. <laughs> so, I digress. Let's move on to the plot. So, we get a big chunk in this beginning of the book about Jane Eyre's young life. She is an orphan. She ends up 
the ward of her aunt Reed, who's not actually a blood relation to her, but she does live with her first cousins, um, who are also terrible. Everybody is terrible. They treat her like an outsider. They treat her like they're like she is less than. There's a couple of instances in the beginning of the book where Jane Eyre is locked in a room and she imagines that there's ghosts. And this is like a, a six or seven year old, like overactive imagination. Jane Eyre also proves herself throughout the book to be very emotional. And so all of these different circumstances lead her to being sent to school. And so Aunt Reed sends her to a charity school called the Lowood School. There's a schoolmaster that's very, very harsh on the girls called Mr. Brocklehurst, and she's there for eight years. She teaches for two years after she finishes six years of schooling, and she becomes like the, not the head honcho, but she becomes very, very involved in the school. She's very attentive. She's a great student, a good teacher. Um, and she decides one day, you know what, I'm not feeling that what I'm doing with my life is expansive enough for me, and she decides to advertise in the papers and ends up getting a response from an older, more proper lady who she thinks, okay, this is going to be my new mistress, um, and she leaves the school, ends up at a house called Thornfield, and Thornfield is an interesting place at first. She's very, her interest is piqued. She meets the lady whom wrote, who wrote to her, and she realizes this is not the mistress of the house. She ends up teaching a young lady named Adele, a young child, who mostly speaks French, I was reading some of the audiobook version of this book and I thought that untranslated French was the hardest part for me because I don't speak great French. It's, it's you know, a lot of the roots and things are very familiar to me, but man, I don't speak enough French to have that untranslated without footnotes. So that was a very interesting component of looking at the audiobook version um, as an aside, but Adele... We hear comparatively very little of Adele in the book, and I think that's one of the great trage tragedies, is that we hear a lot more in Agnes Gray, for example, about the kids and like her daily life as a governess, whereas in Jane Eyre, she becomes so fixated on the master of the house, who is Mr. Rochester, and to be fair, he on her that there's really not much room for much else. Like There's not really a lot of description of other characters, uh, or anything for that matter. So, long story short, Jane Eyre falls in love with Mr. Rochester, they get engaged after a lot of tete-a-tete, -tete, and she, at the altar, finds out due to an objection at the altar, which, like, whenever does that happen, that's crazy, that Mr. Rochester's already married. And that there's a woman, a crazy woman, living in their attic. And this crazy woman, her name is Bertha. He is the legal wife of Mr. Rochester. And at that time, you couldn't divorce somebody who was crazy. I think due to consent issues, but I'm not really sure. 
But essentially, like, if somebody that you're married to went crazy at that time, you were prohibited from divorcing them um, because of their condition. And so he genuinely wanted to marry Jane Eyre and was trying to do it under wraps, but was foiled in the last minute. Jane Eyre has this entire time that she's been living at Thornfields, been experiencing crazy happenstances in the middle of the night when Bertha was escaping her room, her quarters, and going down and wreaking mischief. So one time she tries to burn Mr. Rochester alive in his bed. Another time she, Jane Eyre, wakes up in bed to see her veil, her wedding veil, being ripped in half by this woman. And Jane Eyre leaves. She decides after that, there's nothing for me. Um, I will go on my own. And so she goes on her own, almost starves to death, ends up at the house of a parson and, or a clergyman, I should say. And uh, these two young women um, ends up learning German, which I found so fun. And then she, you know, they kind of become each other's teachers and pupils, which is a really interesting situation that I kind of liked to see, like, these women supporting women. And ends up long, again, long story short, this is a long book that the plot summary, no plot summary can do justice to this book, um, ends up realizing that these people are her cousins on her other side. So the the reeds are the people um, which she's related to on the quote-unquote more prestigious side of the family. And then on the other side, these are her cousins. So she meets two female cousins and her male cousin. The male cousin, Sinjin, takes a particular interest in Jane Eyre and starts to, like, kind of put her under his tutelage, which I thought was the most disturbing part of the book, to be completely honest, because he's conforming her to exactly what he wants her to be and she goes like limply along with him um and that was so I felt that was so like almost out of character for her to do uh he belittles her constantly and he demands very very unreasonable things of her constantly and when this whole affair with living with her cousins ends she uh is proposed marriage by Sinjin, the very man that has been kind of torturing her and yeah the whole time it's it's cringy she refuses him and thankfully she doesn't go to india with him instead she goes back to thornfield and finds it burned to the ground because bertha has again escaped in the night and burned the entire place to the ground and has died in the process mr rochester the person who has been at the center of her thoughts the entire book ends up losing uh his sight he becomes completely blind and also has a an injury on his right arm that is uh, irreparable and he she sees him he's kind of in this lowly state looking not so great at his other residence and when she comes to him she basically says look 
uh, I have received an inheritance from an uncle on the other side of the family with the cousins. She receives this big inheritance of 20,000 pounds, splits it evenly amongst herself and the cousins, and now she can be an independent woman for the first time. She's in circumstances where she's not beholden to anybody. She basically goes and she's like, if your offer still stands, I'm gonna marry you. And so they get married, they have kids, all that. His sight starts to come back, which is also a very like weird kind of like almost magical realism kind of element. Anyway, it's a very happy ending to a very tragic book all told. Like Jane Eyre is super young. She's 18 at this time and she experiences quite a lot from all of the murder attempts to the mistreatment at the boarding school. It is a lot. Let's talk about some analysis. So the analysis that I had in my head before I started reading this book, and this is like the analysis that I think is the most common one of this book, is that the crazy lady in the attic, like Bertha, is a manifestation of Jane Eyre's pent-up sexual desire. And I see, I guess I see where that interpretation comes from, but I don't know if I agree about that. <laughs> I think that it's drawing the hairs, like spreading the hairs a little bit too thin um, and trying to like read into things and make like make theories work that don't work. I mean, certainly the conflicts with her natural desires, again, like mirrored by her religious tendencies, and then also like the conflicts with her social position. These are very, very main themes in the book, especially considering that later she gets an inheritance out of the blue, great expectations, and <laughs> and ends up independent of everybody. And so that's certainly, and all of these are eventually resolved. She gets Mr. Rochester as a husband. She ends up in a much higher social position than she ever started. Um, but I would not go so far as to say that Bertha is the representation of her sexual desire. That just seems like a little bit too far for me. Like there are little comments and symbols and like themes along the way of her sexual desire in the first place. So I'm kind of at a loss for why Bertha would also be this kind of like gross manifestation of that. Let me know what you all think and what you all learned in high school if you read this book. This was like a very readable book to me as well, and that's something that I really appreciated about it. it. A lot of books like at this time are super like high language, like, and it's great language, it's great writing, but it's also just so approachable to the everyday reader. I think the themes are also really interesting and really almost like modern, you know, about talking about ideas of shame and ideals of guilt, like that all seems very modern to me still. I wanted to briefly touch on Orientalism in the novel, and this theme will not get nearly as much attention as it deserves, but 
I thought that there were some pretty strong themes of Orientalism in the novel. Um, several times Jane Eyre is talking about um, Bertha's brother comes to visit and she talks about his accent, um, sort of his mannerisms being a little bit different. Um, also there's a main sort of female rival to Jane Eyre that Mr. Rochester courts. Um, she's kind of explained or described as being having oriental features, um, kind of different, like more striking features than the quote unquote the norm. Also Bertha, um, Bertha and her family come from Jamaica, one of the islands. And um, yeah, that, I mean, there's just a lot of like orientalism and I was kind of surprised about how that was incorporated and I guess why that was incorporated. I'm not sure if it was just the fashion at the time or if there was some other like reason other than aesthetics to to do that. But that was something that was surprising and definitely is problematic about the book, right? Like why would you describe somebody in that way? And the last thing I'll touch on is the characterization in the novel, I thought Jane Eyre and, you know, in Jane Eyre, Charlotte Bronte did an amazing job of characterization. I really enjoyed it. And I thought that there was a lot to be gained um, from a study of characterization in the novel. There were so many instances where in the novel I could say, that is so Jane Eyre. <laughs> or like, that is so Mr. Rochester. And that's something that, in a lot of books, especially books that juggle 30 plus characters, it's just there's not enough room or time or space or density of language to be able to explain that um, and to achieve that level of characterization. So I thought that Charlotte Bronte's treatment of all the characters and how well she was able to characterize them, give them their own bodies and, and life and spirits um, in the realm of fiction, I thought that was so masterfully done, especially, I mean, can you think about a first novel? This is her first novel, it just blows me away. I hope you all enjoyed the Jane Eyre episode. I certainly enjoyed reading it and putting this episode together. Tell me what you think in the comments where I also have some sources about the Bronte sisters and about this book at relevanceofliterature.com slash notes for the show notes for this episode. Thank you all so much. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. 
Thank you so much for your support and we'll see you next time.